Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. So last week we began by introducing a scene at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that includes a tax collector and a gathering of religious people. And see, the gathering of people uh, didn't make this scene interesting and provoking, but what was said and to whom it was said. It's Jesus uh, and a group of people. And as a matter of fact, the context was a very religious context. And the religious leaders at the time had their version of what a follower uh, should look like. They followed a strict religious code with almost over 600 laws and their idea uh, from a religious leader's perspective, next slide please, is this, do this and this and this and then you can follow us. If you can follow a, a, a list of laws and, and strict rules, you can then follow us. We'll value, evaluate you and if you measure up to that, you can follow us. But Jesus comes along and says, if you follow me, I can change your life. It's an extraordinarily relationship-driven comment. As a matter of fact, he gives us several pictures of what kind of relationship he wanted it to, to be. He likened it like a, a father to a son. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, several times he, he, he relates that relationship that he longs to have with us like a father and a son. And not if you had a... a, a, a um, an unhealthy relationship with a father. It's not that. It's, he's the perfection of what a father should be. And he, he desires that. And like a vine to a branch. Uh, the vine gives life to the branch. And if you abide in me, you will grow. So this whole idea of relationship and the connection between the source and the branch. And of course, like a shepherd and a sheep. In, in Jesus' culture, this was very familiar. They understood that shepherds cared for the sheep. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they know it. And when you follow me, you will know my voice. And so the word Jesus came back to over and over and over in the New Testament was follow. Not get your act together or do this, but simply a relational invitation to put your trust in him. And so he begins his ministry in such a non-religious, kick-against-the-system kind of way, Jew assume, uh, Jews assumed that he would be the Messiah to overthrow the Roman oppression. But in some ways, he was the very opposite. He begins his ministry by engaging a person who was furthering Roman oppression, a tax collector. Not just a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector. Collecting taxes for Rome. And verse 9 says, as Jesus went on from there, healing, he, what it mentions there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. And see, a, a tax collector, Matthew, was hired by the Romans to collect taxes from his own people. That was bad enough, but he was also adding his own fees to it. And so he was getting rich off the backs of his own people. And he was hated and worse than a sinner. And to many Jewish leaders, Matthew was in violation of the religious law by doing all of this. So you can imagine what kind of reputation that Matthew had. He couldn't associate with people nor worship at the temple. He was ostracized. Which builds up 
It makes this moment in Matthew 9 even more amazing. And so Jesus walks up to Matthew and he chooses to set the foundation of who could have a relationship with him by saying, follow me. And immediately Matthew got up and followed him. And in the context of this story, Matthew wasn't a follower of Jesus, nor was he a believer of Jesus. Jesus' invitation to Matthew to follow him is as scandalous today as it is then if you have a version of what you think following Jesus is. When we see this, we find this uneasy. Jesus in this moment didn't place any restrictions on Matthew. In this moment, it would have been so easy to and in many ways lawful and right to do so, but he simply invites him to follow. Was he approving of of Matthew's life? Was he saying even indirectly that sin didn't matter? Absolutely not. He will address this in a moment, but right now in this moment, the invitation is to follow. And this is the same invitation Jesus extends throughout the Gospels and the same today as I look around this room and people who are made up in this room, maybe, maybe not a follower of Christ. Maybe you find it hard to believe in a God you cannot see. Or you've been a Christian uh, longer than, than you can remember, maybe. That invitation to simply follow Jesus is extended to every person in this room. And so we ask ourselves the question, what does follow me mean to me? Not did I go to church, did I read the Bible enough, but simply ask the question. If you have not made that step, what does it mean for me? If this seems way too simple to you, then you are now entering into the struggle of those standing in the crowd that day because the story becomes even more scandalous. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, how many? This is not a trick question. It's highlighted there for you. Many. Tax collectors. I highlight those things just in case you haven't had your coffee this morning or you're not listening or you're on your social media device. Just to gain you back, okay? So many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And in this crowd, so to deepen the religious plot, Jesus goes from a tax collector's booth to eating with those people. In, in the crowd, we have religious leaders, we, have, we have, have Peter and Andrew, most likely, and onlookers and other followers early on in Jesus, and all of which are not happy with the expression of inclusion. We have the new disciples saying, I don't want to associate with such ill repute. It, it doesn't make sense. And we have religious leaders wanting religious order. They want Jesus to stop making this uncomfortable for them, both physically and religiously. See, they want a deeper religion, but Jesus wants what? A deeper relationship. The father to a child, the shepherd to the sheep, the source to a branch. See, table fellowship was one of the highest forms of relationship in the, in the New Testament. When you were invited in that context to someone's house for, something, for food, it was one of the highest forms of relationship. And look who shows up, all of Matthew's friends. It's the group of, of, of people, the group of people who were just like him. Matthew's uh, only friends were other tax collectors and traders to, to, to their town and other sinners. They didn't go to the temple or associate religious people. And Jesus shows up in his house in one of the highest forms of relationship. 
table fellowship. You ever, ever invite a stranger to your Sunday dinner? I, I challenge you to, the first person you pass on the street today, pull over your vehicle and say, you want to come over for something to eat or not? <laughs> and you will be visited by the RNC, I'm sure. <laughs> See, we don't do that anymore, do we? That's, 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 that's almost strange and uncommon today. Back in the day, <laughs> that was normal. It was normal occurrence in my ta- at my table growing up. When mom would set the table, there was always an extra plate and chair for the unknown guests. And sure enough, after church, dad would show up with that person. It wasn't just any guest. Dad would pick people on the side of the road. No joke. People he knew before he came to Christ. Homeless people, drunks would sit at our table. It was some of the most awkward moments in my, in my teenage life. I'll be honest with you. As a young boy, because I didn't understand it at the time. But as a young boy, I really struggled with the idea that a stranger receiving the same benefits as one of dad's sons. I was like, hold on a second here. They ate, this, ate from the same plate, not the same plate, but the, a plate like mine, a cup from our cupboard. I remember the day that one of our guests received a second helping of dinner and we didn't. I said, Dad, you crossed the line. (laughs) It it, it made me uncomfortable. Why? Should they get the same benefits as I do? I'm his son. I have his blood. I earned it. They didn't. I'm uncomfortable with their ease of comfort because they hadn't earned it. And I love what Andy Stanley says about Matthew 9, and I borrow some of his thoughts in this message today. He says, Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people that weren't anything like him, and people who were nothing like Jesus were attracted to him. And that may make you uncomfortable by, by reading that, but it's true. This is so important to anyone in this room today who's far from God, who thinks your actions and your decisions omits you from being loved by Jesus. Jesus isn't uncomfortable because he knows who you are or because he knows your past. As a matter of fact, he is willing to go to the deepest parts of your life to show you that, as as he did with with Matthew. Stood outside the house that day were religious people who would never go inside of Matthew's house because he was a tax collector. Furthermore, they would never pick Matthew up on the side of the road and invite him to, to Sunday dinner. Would he? Or they? But they, that isn't Jesus' posture. He moved from words follow me to actions and sitting with Matthew. And he is reminding you and I today that as followers of Christ, your words have to coexist with your actions. Don't they? It reminds me of one of the first vehicles I ever bought. It was a Nissan. I told you this story before. And this, the salesperson was so passionate about Nissan products, Nissan vehicles. And as we got to one of the last days of signing for this, this van that we were buying, I said to him, so what Nissan vehicle do you drive? He said, I don't drive a Nissan. <laughs> and I thought, how do... Your words and your actions do not coexist. And this is what Jesus is saying to us in Matthew 9. By moving from saying to Matthew, who was, was a ostracized by his community, to going from, say, follow me, Matthew, to his house. It was scandalous at that time. So let me ask you, 
Does your actions and your words coexist together? You want to know if you are a follower of Jesus, ask yourself, how well do you love people? How well do you love people who don't love you back? How are your conversations full of grace and seasoned with salt? Are you sitting in Matthew's house or are you standing outside looking in going? Some of you moms don't do that anymore, right? My mother did that. She had a master's degree in tooting. (laughs) She could toot and talk the same time. She could toot and breathe the same time. It was amazing. And they're standing outside. Let's get back to the message here, okay? They're standing outside tooting. It was a religious toot, the highest form of of tooting. And tooting is not a word. Don't look for it in the dictionary. But you know what I mean. It's that religious posture of not saying it, but acting as if I am better in this context of Matthew 9. The two didn't line up in, Matt, in, this, in this context. The religious people outside, they wanted Jesus to disassociate or not associate with such ill repute. And it says, and it gives them away, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. Here it is, right? Why does your teacher eat with, such, with tax collectors and sinners? And so they're confused because they think he is like the Pharisees because he's a rabbi, he's a law keeper, a holy man, and so he has a lot in common with these Pharisees. So why didn't he invite us? Or why would he choose people he's nothing like? And this is where we pick up from last week. He's sitting around the table with Matthew on the, uh, and, and the sinners, and there is a, a commotion outside because the Pharisees question his intentions. And look what he says. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but what? But the sick. Now, if, imagine if you're Matthew hearing this, but the sick. Go out and tell them, it's not the healthy who need me, it's the sick. Matthew and, and the sinners inside must realize he, that he is referring to them inside the house. Not the healthy outside of the house. Matthew has to be thinking, are you calling me sick? And Jesus is saying, Matthew, you're a tax collector. Of course you're sick. Look around the room here, Matthew. Remember Matthew is writing this story about himself, Okay? It's like when you're, you first gave your testimony. Remember the, remember the very first time you either verbally gave your testimony or you wrote it out on paper. And you remember that defining moment when you realized you needed Jesus to save you. And it's, it's the, the pivotal part of your story. And Matthew has to be writing this and thinking, wow, this is when I realized I needed a doctor. And Jesus shows up. And for those of you in the room today who have been invited into following Jesus, there comes a moment like Matthew when you realize that there is a distance between you and God called sin. That in order to follow Jesus, there is a recognition of a, of a sickness inside of us. You know you're sick. You know you, you fall short. You're not, you're not even consistent with your own rules. And you know that you have broken God's rules. And if God were to judge you today, we would be in trouble. And you would be in trouble. You don't need a pastor to tell you that. Jesus was so comfortable in who he was and who he had relationship with at Matthew's house that he could say out loud, I'm in here with the sick people. 
And he shows up and doing so, he is telling us the prime candidates for following Christ are people who are willing to admit what? I need forgiveness. I need a savior. I need someone to do what I cannot do. I need someone to rescue me from my sin. I need someone to come into my journey and my narrative and change me from the inside out. I need, a, I need forgiveness. Now, Jesus is not offending, if you're wondering. He's not done offending yet. And he says, but go and learn what this means. This is so offensive to the Pharisees because all they did was sit and learn and, and, and read and, and, and memorize. And, and that's the reason why they're standing outside because they memorize. They know that this is, this is religiously illegal for Jesus to be associating with Matthew. A tax collector who's broken the religious law. And, it's, and Jesus responds and he offends him by saying, I desire, next slide, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. And what he means is, I'm not content to be with the people who believe all the right things. And I'm not content to hang out with all the people who behave the right way. I'm content to join the healthy to help the sick. And let me ask, speak to followers in the room of Christ today, you have made a deliberate decision to follow Jesus Christ. God forbid that we become a church or people that is content with showing up from Sunday to Sunday to believe the right things and behave the right way and end it there. Because if we do, we'll find ourselves outside the very places Jesus comes to call sick and sinners and those who need a savior. So let me ask you, does your belief Follow your behavior. We've been called to represent our Savior to those who say, I need something different, who say, I am sick and I need forgiveness. As a matter of fact, it's not even good enough to believe right, not even good enough to behave right, because those who just believe right and behave right end up standing in the crowd and end up saying, as soon as you can change, you can be a part of us. It reminds me of my mom who used to run our, our, our homeless mission, and I've told you this story before, and it got to the point, it grew so big that we had over 30 people, homeless people there, and we had to hire someone to help clean. And uh, three weeks before we, we hired them, before they came, it was my aunt, she went around and cleaned everything. She cleaned the floor, she cleaned the walls, she cleaned every kid in the room almost. You got in her way. And it makes no sense. I say, I say, mom, 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 why are you cleaning? We're going to hire someone to clean. She said, boy, listen, I don't want anybody to know, think I'm a messy person or a dirty person. And all Jesus is saying to Matthew here is you come as you are. I'll do the cleaning up. And I'm going to your house. But the Pharisees say he's a tax collector. He's a sinner. But Jesus' message was, my forgiveness for you is not about what you can do, but what I have done for you. And if you would just take that step of faith and do something extraordinary in your life, if you do, because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like a father, I'm like a vine, I'm like a good shepherd, and I want you to follow me. And so let me ask you, that's what this series is about. Regardless of where you are, the invitation for you is this, to follow and a couple things about following Jesus. One is this, nothing, nothing disqualifies a person from accepting Jesus. For, next slide. Not one thing. 
The Pharisees thought they, they, they thought they were well, therefore they didn't, they didn't think they needed to follow Jesus. The outcasts knew they weren't. And Jesus went out of his way to find Matthew, who was a known deceiver and sinner, a traitor to his own people, a violator of the law. He didn't associate with his own or worship at the temple, a prime candidate for an encounter with Jesus. Before he prayed or believed anything, before he repeated anything, Jesus said, Matthew, follow me. And not only that, I'm going to your house. There is no sin. There is no habit. There is no addiction that disqualifies you from the invitation that Jesus gives. Well, you don't know me. You don't know my past. It doesn't matter. Jesus does. Secondly, your unbelief is the reason Jesus came. After a couple of years of following Jesus, the disciples witnessed Jesus walking on water, calming a, calming a storm, feeding the 5,000, and in and through all of that, they still struggled to believe. Read, your, read the Gospels. And then Jesus in Mark 8 heals a blind man, and finally he looks at Peter and he says, but what about you? Next slide. He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Jesus was constantly saying your unbelief, and he would chastise them for their unbelief. Some of them even received nicknames for their unbelief, like doubting who? At the end, Thomas struggled to believe. Jesus didn't give up on him, and it even gets to the point where Jesus is resurrected, and some of the disciples saw him and, and tell Thomas and look at his response, unless I see the nail prints marks in his hands and put my fingers, fingers where their nails are, you know, and put my hand into this, I will not believe. How's that? Hmm. And Jesus shows up a week later and says, place your hands here. Stop doubting and believe. It took some disciples to the very end before they believe in Jesus. Your doubt, your pain, your sin, your unbelief is the reason Jesus came. And his invitation to you today is to believe. And thirdly, Jesus will not condemn us for our past, but he calls us away from, from our past through, through his forgiveness. And Matthew is the prime example of this statement. Another example is where Jesus shows up at a well and a woman's there. And she is the complete opposite of what we think and what religious people think should be a candidate to follow Christ. But Jesus breaks the law. He goes out of his way, goes down into, into this, by this well, and he meets with her. And before he reminds her of her past, he reminds her of his love. And she is so extraordinarily changed and blown away that he loved, he loved her first, that he, she leaves that place. She goes back to town and says, come and see someone that knew everything about me, yet still loved me. And they say, well, I'm, I'm going to go for myself and have a look. And they all go down. The same people that chastised this woman, the same people that knew her past, that, that condemned her, Jesus didn't. And they go and they look and they stand and they realize that this is the Messiah. And they say, we believe now, not because you told us, but because we've seen it for ourselves. Wow. 
Jesus will not condemn us for our past, but he calls us away from it through his forgiveness. The Apostle Paul said it best in Romans 2, 4. God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. And some of us thought it was fear, right? Fear, fear could be somewhat motivating. Paul says it's not condemning someone, it's kindness. And the beauty of kindness is in order to experience someone's kindness, you have to be in their proximity, a relationship with him. As you begin to follow Jesus, the things that leads to repentance, which is change, is not the fear. It's God's kindness. Demonstrated through Christ. And Jesus' motivation on earth wasn't just to save us from somewhere, but to return us to someone. His role was to bridge the gap between us and the Father that was severed in the Garden of Eden and his kindness was demonstrated by going to a cross, dying, rising, and defeating the very thing that separates us, which is sin. And that's what gets me going about that last song that we sang and I can't remember the song. What is it? What? Death will rest it. Wow. I'm standing there. And as I sing that song every time, I internalize it. That was me. That was you. Christ stepped out into your life and did what you can't do. Even on your best day, you couldn't save yourself from what was required through Jesus Christ. Your best day, your best makeup day, your best hair day could not save you. I'm sorry. I was going to say men, but men don't wear makeup. I just stereotyped, I'm sorry. Can we, can we smite that from the record? Your best day. You, you couldn't help yourself. But when I realize, because sometimes I forget the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in my life, and, and when I remember that, I remember that I couldn't do it, but Christ did. The best thing I could do was... Re- make myself obedient to him, offer my, re- remind myself, realize that I am in sin and the only thing that separates me from God is sin and open my life to him. And say, I'm yours, Father. I'm yours. And lastly, following reminds me to focus on my relationship with God, not someone else's. <laughs> If you're a Christian and you're not actively following Jesus, then you are in in jeopardy of standing outside the house in Matthew 9 because when I wake up every day, the goal of your life, my life, isn't motivated by doing this and this and this, and if I do it right, then I might be in God's good grace. My goal every single day as a believer is to live in God's grace and to focus on following him and doing that, I become so aware of my responsibility in following you, Jesus, that I don't have time to judge you. You hear what I'm saying? We're not evaluators of Christ. We are followers of Christ. Are you the truest expression of Jesus in your world? Like Jesus at Matthew's house, in your secular context, are you showing up so that God's presence has a place at the table? Think about your context. Think about the darkness that maybe pervades that. Are you 
the truest expression of God around that table. You see, the more I realize the work God has to do in me, the less critical I am of what God has to do in you. <laughs> Let that sink in now. It's true. This is what makes the church so amazingly beautiful because some people here have been a Christian for years, others only months. Some have big faith, some have little faith, but we're all moving in the same direction, learning to become more and more like Jesus. There's something powerful about that, isn't it? And so let me ask you in the second part of this series, it is why some of you have been so against church in the past and now attend church again. Because there is something beautiful about the body of Christ when we join together with our faith to strengthen one another. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.